Bible, if you have one, to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3 is where we're going to be this morning. Colossians chapter 3, we're just going to read verses 1 through 4. Colossians 3, 1 through 4, continuing our sermon series in the book of Colossians. Should be up on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible. This is what Paul writes to the Colossian church. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated at this time. Well, good morning, church. As always, it is so good to be with all of you. Um, I just love preaching in a church where I can like look out and I can see your faces and I, I know most of you, or at least I've, I've met you before. And I'm just honored, as always, to, to preach with you uh, here today. Uh, the title of the sermon is Think Higher. And if you're like me, um, you probably need this message this morning. Think higher. I want to talk about your mind. I want to talk about um, what you think about all day. I was reading an article in the Huffington Post by a guy named Bruce Davis, who's a uh, Ph.D. psychologist, so apparently a pretty smart dude. And he said in the article that we have anywhere, and I don't know how this is possible, so I'm just going to throw this out there um, ahead of time, but he says uh, that we think 50,000 to 70,000 thoughts a day, okay? 50,000 to 70, I don't know how it's possible because like you're only awake for about 16 hours a day. Um, but he's a PhD psychologist, and I'm just a preacher, so we're going we're gonna to go with what he says, right? So let's assume maybe 50,000 thoughts. So every day you have like 50,000 thoughts that like run through your mind. And my, my question to you is like, what do you think about all day? Like, like what goes through your mind? When you're driving in the car, like in between places, like what are you thinking about, right? Is it like really random things, right? Like puppy dog, um, or uh, mm, Taco Bell, that kind of sounds good. Uh, well, probably no one thinks that. But, um, you know, what do you think about all I mean, you know, are, are you thinking deep thoughts? Like you're driving in the car and you're like, you know, man, what is the meaning of life? Is that you? Are you that kind of person, you know? Or are you like the person who's always like frantically running late? And so you're always thinking, I got to get there. You're like Google Maps and the fastest route to get there. But what do you think about all day? Is it happy thoughts? Like, are you the kind of person, like, you're just always thinking, like, the best of everything? Is that you? Is that you guys? Is it always like, man, God is so good, and I'm so blessed, and my friends are so amazing, and God, the, the, the air smells so good outside? Is that you? Are you, like, the super positive person? Or are you more of, like, a what's going to go wrong today? Are you, like, a Murphy's Law kind of thinking person? What do you think about all day? And I think this is an important question, especially in the church, because in the church, we talk a lot about behavior modification, right? We look at people sinning and we say, hey, knock it off, right? That's what we do, right? Quit sinning. Be, be better. Be more moral. Be more spiritual, right? Do the right things. Pray. Go to church. Read your Bible, right? Um, be, be kind and empathetic to people in need. We talk a lot about behavior modification, and yet I don't think we talk enough about the mind, 
And I think that's so important because, like, when you think about your life, have you ever committed a sin or done something wrong and it didn't start in your mind first? Is not your mind the engine that drives all the things that you do? Scientists would say that even kind of our reaction kind of things that we do are still thoughts that we process first. They're just thoughts that we've already stored up. Our mind controls literally every single thing that we do. And this is important because we're beginning Colossians chapter 3 this morning. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at some very important passages in Scripture. And next week, Paul is going to talk to us about um, how to rid our lives of the sin and the destruction that we often struggle with. And the following week, he's going to talk to us about how to grow in holiness. And yet before he gets to those topics, Paul begins right here with your mind. He says that literally, if you can control the things that you think about, if we can sanctify our minds, then our behavior goes on a holy autopilot. However, if we allow our minds to run wild, if we fill it with garbage and random things, if if we fill it with with things that are below what God wants for us, what do we expect is going to happen in our lives? And I will also argue this morning, and we'll talk about this here in a moment, that I think that, that what's at risk if we don't do this, right? If we don't do what Paul's telling us to do, I think there's two things. Number one, you might waste your life. And number two, I think anxiety and worry and fear are what happen when we don't set our mind on the things above. So let's look at Colossians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 1 together. Uh, and as always, I'll go verse by verse through this and kind of explain it and then draw some implications for our lives. And so... Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. This is what Paul says. He says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And that first phrase where he says, if then, most Bible commentators would say that's probably better translated just the word since, right? (laughs) Most of us don't walk around saying, if then, you know, like that's not a phrase that we're kind of familiar with. Well, if then I go to Taco Bell, I don't know. Two Taco Bell references already. It's crazy, right? If, if then I do this, if then, if, if, if my daughter disobeys, if then, then I'm going to punish her, right? Like, we don't say that, right? But we say the word since, right? Since you did this, this is going to happen. And so what, what Paul is, is, is drawing here is an implication, right? He's saying, since you have been raised with Christ, and, and this is important, right? And this is one of the things that many people misunderstand about Christianity, right? People don't often realize that the reason why we call people to higher thinking and higher living and different ways of life is not because there's just this perfect law that we're all trying to ascribe to, but because God has done a transformative work in your life. If you were in Christ, if you have believed the gospel, you're not the person that you used to be. You are literally filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. God has raised you in Christ to a new life. You were dead in your sins and and dead in the aimlessness of your life. And and Christ, on the cross and his resurrection, has raised you to a new life. And now we're living out of this identity. And this is important because Paul begins with identity. He doesn't just throw morality at you, right? You ever had someone just throw morality at you? If if you're not transformed by the person giving the morality, it doesn't make any sense, right? So Paul says you're a different person. I've come to find this in parenting my my daughter, and she's getting to the age where she's a year and a half now. And so it's so cool. Like, she can actually say words that I say, 
Uh, she can say um, two syllables that are different because when they're really little, all they can say is like dad, dad, mama, tata. You know, it's all like just two syllables over and over again, which doesn't really count as a word, I don't think. Um, but she's actually able to like to say words, and she's also able to disobey, right? She picked that up real quick, you know. She was just real good at that, you know. And she has, we have this problem where I say come, and she goes the other way, like every time. So I know she knows what it means, right? And yet what I try to do with my daughter, even though she doesn't get it yet and probably won't for a while, and this is important if you want to raise your kids in the Lord and be a godly parent, I think, is every time I, I parent her or I try to change something in her behavior, at least in my own mind and heart, I always try to think, I'm doing this, Molly, because of who you are. I'm not just some secular person trying to make you fit into some mold of, you know, what are socially acceptable behaviors so you grow up and people will like you, right? That's not why I do that, right? Like literally, Molly, I believe you're created by God. I believe you're loved by God, and I believe that that has implications for your life. You're not supposed to be like everybody else. You're not supposed to be disobedient. I believe that God has a plan and purpose for your life, and because of that, you can't touch the stove, okay? And because of that, you can't walk down the stairs because you'll fall and you'll bust your face, okay? So you got to obey, right? No, you have to come when daddy calls you to come, right? And so this is important for us as we begin this morning because if we don't start there, all you're going to hear is just morality. And so Paul literally begins with the church and he says, you're raised with Christ. You're, you're different. You're not who you used to be. So God calls us out of that. But then this is what Paul says in verse 1 when he says, Seek the things that are above where Christ is. And here's the big first main idea that I really want you to get this morning. It's this idea that being raised with Christ changes what you seek and what you think. That that should be up on the screen. Being raised with Christ changes what you seek and what you think. Say that with me, okay? Being raised with Christ changes what you seek and what you think. It changes who you are. Paul says in verse 1, seek the things that are above. And this is important because we're not just saved to be saved, right? We are saved to become something. We are saved to do something. God saves us to be a part of his wonderful work of redemption in the world. And yet what happens is when we follow Jesus, we don't just follow him and get a new morality. We get new aspirations in life. And so Paul calls us out of thinking about just earthly things to heavenly things. And a lot of times, earthly things might not even be bad things unless they're sin, but they're just things that like are there, but they're not supposed to dominate our entire life. Let me give you some examples, and I don't think this will be hard to imagine. I think that earthly things are temporal things that we pursue for temporal pleasures, right? So like money. Money's not a bad thing. You know, if if God didn't want money to exist, he'd just make it not exist, right? But money exists. But when we live our whole life for money and for more money, right, that's earthly thinking. It's a temporal thing for a temporal pleasure. Things like possessions and trying to up your status in life. You know, you want everyone on Facebook to think you're awesome, okay? Like that, that's an earthly way to live your life. Living your life to try and impress people that you don't even like, okay? That's earthly thinking, being obsessed with things like just media nonstop, being obsessed with social media to where it affects kind of how you feel about yourself, being overly obsessed with like television and politics and, and so on and so forth, or maybe getting stuck in certain kinds of things that, that are sin and that we're not, ways that we're not supposed to live our lives. That's earthly thinking. And yet Paul calls us out of that. He says, you church, you've been raised with Christ, so so seek heavenly things, right? Living a life of love and care for other people. 
actually beginning to develop a prayer life because like earthly thinking says I'm too busy to pray right but heavenly thinking says what's the point of anything I do today if I don't pray at least a little bit and connect with God well what's the point if I gain the entire world and I lose my soul and there's nothing beyond just the physical part of who I am it's caring for your friends and your neighbors and your church it's living a life of generosity. It's living a life of truth, of wanting to know truth and the big picture of what God has made in the world. You know, a couple different times in my life, I've, I've had the privilege of working with uh, inner city and, and what some people would refer to as underprivileged youth. And uh, in those moments, I, I found something uh, really uh, interesting in working with them. And what I found is that um, inner city or underprivileged youth oftentimes, like kids that maybe people say are kind of on a, a bad track or might not end up well, they're just as smart as every other kid. They're just as smart. They're, they're just as capable. Um, they're, they're just as obedient as any other kids. But, but the problem oftentimes with those kids is they don't have the right aspirations. No one's given them good aspirations in their life. They've, like, like, and so no one, no one guides them, no one parents them. And so they end up in these places where they're pursuing bad things and they, they just pursue what they hear in music or what they hear on TV because that's just kind of all that they get. And they go those directions and, and no one ever tells them, hey, that, that's not going to go well for you in the end. And I think in the same way, what we see here is Paul gives us new aspirations because God knows what is best for us. God knows that if all you live for is money, it will not end well for you. And so God tells you that in this passage. God knows that just living for the approval of man will not go well for you in the end. And you know it won't go well for you in the end. And so God tells you that. But what God gives us are things like love and peace and generosity. And, and, and what God does is he gives us a path in this life where he says, if you will follow these things, if you will do these things, it will go well for you. You will find meaning. You will begin, begin living a powerful life now that will continue for all eternity. God knows these things, and he loves you, and so he calls you to higher thinking. And yet I think the problem is when we don't do this, is I think anxiety and worry begin to grip our lives. I, I view anxiety and worry as low-level thinking. And I think Jesus does as well. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 6 with me. You, you've probably read this before. It's, it's the famous passage that Jesus teaches um, on not worrying, but Matthew 6, 25 through 33. Actually, I think I'm going to change it up. I know you're turning there, and you can, you can turn there if you want to, but, but I'm going to do something different. So I, I, want you to, I want you to close your eyes, and I'm going to read this over you really quick. And I want you to analyze this passage. Jesus is going to tell you to not worry, but I want you to hear the framework of which he says that, right? So let me read this over you really quick. Matthew 6, 25 through 33. This is the words of Jesus over us this morning. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, 
Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You can open your eyes. So what does he say that the people who are anxious are seeking? Just living for clothes and for food and for money and and for stuff. And yet the people that receive the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, what are they seeking? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God and and seeking it is, is, is learning to learn about God. To, to know more about him, to put his thoughts in your mind, to seek love for him and for others, generosity, community, and truth, filling your life with the things of the Lord, ridding your life of sin, ridding your life of anxiety and worry and a lack of faith, which ultimately makes you anxious. Those are the things of the world, but we are called to the things of God. Jesus' answer to your anxiety isn't just don't worry, and that's the problem, right? Because it's just don't worry. If you have anxiety, you know that doesn't work. You, you can't just not worry. You can't just get rid of the chest pain by saying, chest pain, go away. That doesn't work, right? But Jesus gives you the solution that works. He says, seek the things of the kingdom and fill your life with them. But not only does Paul give us new aspirations and things to seek, he also gives us new things to think about. Turn to verse 2 with me, Colossians 3, verse 2. This, this verse should be up on the screen. He says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And so being raised with Christ changes what we seek, but it also changes the things that we think about. And here's a truth that you need to know this morning. And, and please hear this, right? Because I think we often don't realize this, and I think it's much to our detriment. You can control what you think about. Let that sink in. You can control what you think about. You have a lot of control and power because of the spirit that lives inside of you to change the things that you think about. One of the things I've had to learn in my life, and it's funny because before I never thought much about this, like when bad thoughts come into my mind or frustrating thoughts or resentful thoughts or negative thoughts, I literally just learned to like, I just change my thinking, right? I put on a song that kind of changes my thinking. or like I don't even let myself go there. And that's a good thing. And I think we see that in Scripture. In Philippians 4, verses 8 through 9, Paul literally says this. He says to another church, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So Paul tells them what to think about. Think about your thought life. How's it going? Do you think about whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely? Or are you more like me and you think about whatever is cynical? Whatever could go wrong, right? Whatever I don't like. Whatever is frustrating me. Whatever is the worst part of my life, that that seems to get like 80% of my mental life. Isn't that how it goes? 
And yet Paul says literally, because you're risen with Christ, you have the power of the Spirit inside of you to literally change the things that you think about. And you need to know that. Paul also says to another church in Romans 12, verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I had a really cool experience uh, back in May when uh, Halsey and I, we went to uh, Denver for our five-year marriage anniversary. Go us, right? It was, it was really cool. Um, but as I, as I shared uh, earlier in another sermon, uh, we also learned that altitude sickness is a real thing, right? And so we both uh, spent a little bit more time hovering over the toilet than we, we wished. Um, but, you know, that's marriage, right? We were there for each other and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, but anyway, so we're, we went to the trip. It was really good except for that part. It was really beautiful. And, um, but the problem is I also don't like flying. Um, it just makes me kind of nervous. I mean, I'll do it, you know, like if I want to go somewhere, like I don't want to be in a car for 25 hours, so I'll fly, you know, um, especially now that I have a baby, I don't want to be in a car for like 10 minutes. But, um, so anyway, we're, we're flying back and, uh, the first half of our flight was perfect and smooth and it was amazing because we're literally flying over the Rocky Mountains, which I actually learned there's a lot of mountains that extend from Colorado down to the Texas Panhandle. I never knew that before, so, because I got to see them all, right? But we had this flight, and the first half of the flight was real smooth. And, I mean, it was like you could see everything because there was not a cloud in the sky. It was a perfect, peaceful day to fly back. And you could see everything, the mountains and the, uh, the greenery and some water. I mean, it was a beautiful sight. And then we got the fateful message from the, the pilot where he does like the, you know, the kind of thing coming over the intercom, you know. He's like, uh, that's a really bad sound, but um, he's like, so we're, uh, I'm going to have everyone get back in your seat and put on your seat belts because we're going to experience some turbulence, right? So I already don't like flying. I'm like, oh, this is so nerve-wracking, you know. It's like so dangerous. We can't even be walking around. This is going to go so badly. So um, he's like, we're heading into some storms, and he's like, but, but they're, they're kind of lower, you know, so I, I think we're going to be actually able to go over some of them, which, side note, planes don't normally fly over storms, right, but this was a unique storm. Um, so we're going through the storm, and all of a sudden we go from having this like perfect view of everything where it was beautiful and wonderful and everything good about America, and then we come into this like massive cloud. And it's amazing, the second we hit this cloud, all of a sudden it's like, you know, it's kind of shaking, you know, and it's really like nerve-wracking. And, you know, like those moments like the plane drops for a little bit, and you're like, oh my gosh, we're going to die. You know, that's how it felt. And like all of a sudden, like the conversation is a lot less, and everyone's just kind of like hanging on, you know. And some guy, like is the lucky guy who actually got to fall asleep, so he doesn't realize what's happening, you know. But the, for the rest of us who are awake, we're in torment, you know, right, or maybe it's just me. And so we're on this plane, and we're flying, we're hitting turbulence. And, and the interesting thing about turbulence is when you're in that cloud, you can't see anything right? And so when there's no cloud, you can see everything, but in turbulent skies, like, you look out the window, and all you see is this white fog, which I also think is kind of what negative thinking is like. But we had this interesting moment where towards the end of the storm that we were flying over, we, we came out of the, uh, the turbulent cloud, and I had this moment that, that I will never forget because it was one of the coolest things I've literally ever seen. It was like one of those, like, Facebook cool clips of, like, nature, but I actually saw it in real life. I looked out the window, and below me, I saw this storm cloud. And it was the first time in my life that I literally got the chance to watch a lightning bolt strike below me, okay? That's a cool experience, right? It was like this beautiful, because it was below us, it was beautiful, this beautiful metallic purple lightning bolt that literally struck below us. And it was the first time in my mind where I was like, oh my gosh, you can actually be 
above thunder and lightning. I get never even crossed my mind, right? Because I live all of my life on the earth, right? And you don't get above those things. You run from those things. That's how you live your life, right? But I was above it for a moment. I was like, hmm, that's a pretty cool thing. And it's funny because as I was reading this passage, I kept coming back to that same idea because I think what Paul is, is literally telling us here in this moment is he's like, you're in the earth and, and you're, you're surrounded by all the problems in the world, but he's telling us this amazing heavenly reality that you could elevate your life and your thinking above those problems. What Paul is calling you to is to think higher. See, sometimes God fixes our problems in life. Other times... He calls us to fly above our problems with our thinking. And this is important because you need to know this truth this morning, that you can have a happy, peaceful, and godly life without all your earthly problems being resolved. Isn't that encouraging? That you don't have to sit around and wait till everything is back to perfect before enjoying the life that God is giving you before living out the calling that God has given you. You see, if you're like me, sometimes we just think, I'm just going to wait right here until everything's perfect, and I'm going to wait right here until that, um, that problem is resolved, and, and maybe then I'll try to get back on with my life. And yet what Paul says is to set your mind on things above. Paul doesn't say everything's going to be fixed. Paul doesn't say that the, the, the business venture is going to go smooth. Paul doesn't say your job is going to be perfect. Paul doesn't say uh, that your kids are never going to have problems. Paul just says literally to elevate your thinking into the heavens. I want to share with you a quote of Charles Spurgeon that I, I read this week. It's really good. He says, to pray is to mount on eagle's wings above the clouds and to get into the clear heaven where God dwelleth. You see, for many of us, and for many of you this morning, I believe what God's word for you is he's calling you to elevate your thinking above your circumstances. (laughs) To elevate your thinking above family drama. Not that you have any, okay? But for those few of you that do have some family drama, to to, to be a part of it, to be empathetic, but, but don't let it control your life. Fly above it. To elevate your thinking above things like a constant, the negativity of politics, the rat race for money, the the latest news controversy, finding the perfect whatever. To elevate your thinking above these things. So real quick, I want to give you a couple things, uh, ways I think that you can do this this week that I think are really important. Some application points. The first one is this. In prayer, don't just be a bleeder be a dreamer. And let me explain that. But the first thing I have to say is, is literally, and I've had this conversation with, with a lot of, of people, um, especially people that are dealing with anxiety and worry and, and kind of a discontentment in life. Um, I, I will often sit down with those people, and my question is always this. I'm like, so what's your prayer life like? Like, do you pray? And one of the hardest things I think a lot of times is, is I think we're, we're looking for like some really deep transcendent problem in our life and we're, we're, we're going back through our childhood and we're looking at like, well, why am I this way, you know? And it's like, I mean, do you pray daily? Um, do you get enough sleep, you know? Um, do you have somewhat of a, like a decent diet, you know? I, it's like, hey, let's, let's fix the basic things like first, right? Let, let's, you know, let, let, let's get healthy, right? And then we'll start looking for, for why we have unhealthy parts of our life. But prayer is one of those essential things. Like in Scripture, and I see this over and over again, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, that the peace of God is a phrase that is always connected to prayer in Scripture. 
Almost every single time, the peace of God is connected to prayer. And so I think that if we're going to elevate our thinking, if we're going to think higher, if we're going to elevate above our circumstances, we have to learn to personally pray. And yet in prayer, and I've experienced this, the problem we have is we just become bleeders. And so prayer is all about everything that's wrong and everything that's not going good. And our whole prayer, God, fix this circumstance and fix this and <laughs> make my spouse better and, you know, give me more patience and, you know, fix this coworker and fix this thing. Like every, every aspect of prayer is like everything that's, that's wrong, everything that you haven't seen God do yet. And that's a good part of prayer. But in prayer, we should be dreamers. And I think the way that we do this is not just to pray, but pray the Lord's Prayer. In Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, right? I've had a prayer life for 10, 15 years now, and I still every day just pray the Lord's Prayer. I pray what Jesus prays, and I kind of elaborate it for myself. But if I don't do that, the problem is I just kind of pray off. I go off into like circumstantial land for prayers, right? And even my prayer becomes negative, you know? It's like everything that's bad. Yet the Lord's Prayer reminds us to be thankful and grateful for what we have. It pulls us to gratitude and to worship of the Lord. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, you say, your kingdom come. You're you're dreaming in that moment of of what life could look like and what your life could look like. Like, man, what, what kind of work could God do in your life? Like, could you be freed of anxiety? Yes, you could. Could could you overcome that circumstance? Yes, you could. Could you grow and thrive in life? Could you get to the point where you're so mature in the faith that you can actually disciple somebody else? Yes, you can. Prayer should be about dreaming about what the kingdom of God could look like in our city and in our lives. And this is why we pray the Lord's Prayer, and we don't just spend prayer talking about, God, make make this better, make that better. I'm so unhappy with this thing. Pray those things, but also be a dreamer. And the second thing is this, and this is really important too. If you want to elevate your thinking, if you want to think higher, if if you want to always be in the Lord's will, then make love the aim of every relationship you have, no exceptions. Think about like all the people that you know, all of the, I don't know, maybe you're super social, maybe you know a hundred people. Maybe you're an introvert, you know eight people, right? I don't know how many people you know. But think about all those individual relationships. And and let me ask this question. Is love the aim that you have in that relationship? Like, if our aim is not love in a relationship, then then what is our aim in that relationship? Like, that friend you have, like, are you you using them or are you loving them? You see, if, if our goal in that relationship is not to love them and to cherish them and to make their life better, then what are we doing? You see, I think elevating our lives to the things of the Lord, to bring heaven on earth, it means that every person that we know, our aim is simple. I just want to love you and help you. And we might not be super close, we might not have a super deep relationship, but in everything that I do with you, I want to love and I want to serve you. It will change your marriage, it will change your parenting and your friendships. It will change the relationships with your coworkers because you can have a secular job and you can love your coworkers. You can love them. You can be an image for Christ in your place of work. So one of the ways that we elevate our thinking is that in everything that we do, we make love the aim of what we're trying to do. And so as we draw to a close, uh, I'm just going to close with the last two verses of our text this morning as the band makes their way back up. Let's close with our back, going back to our text in Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to close with verses 3 through 4. 
And I think these are really important verses for us this morning, and yet I think that um, maybe they sound kind of pithy in a sense to us, or they sound um, kind of theological, and so we kind of avoid them and we don't go too deep. But I think that if we drill into these verses, there's actually a lot of really good stuff here. Paul says this in Colossians 3, verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. And I think what this means for us today, and the the phrase that I want to leave you with, the sentiment that I want to leave you with this morning, is that if you're discouraged for whatever reason, be encouraged, because God is not done with you. If you're discouraged, be encouraged. Because God is not done with you. I say that because I think in life we have this problem where uh, we feel like maybe uh, like we're, we're never getting there and we're never um, emerging into the people that God wants us to be. And we come to the place where maybe we even despair a little bit. And it's like, man, I've, I've tried ten times to develop a prayer life and I've tried to do this and I've tried to do that. And we're like, man, I'm, I'm 80 years old and I still struggle with some of the same things. And we get discouraged in life. And yet what Paul is is telling us in that verse is that you have died and that your life is hidden with Christ. And so the same way that you don't see Christ right now, you also don't see who God is going to make you. You don't see who you're going to be. You don't see what God is going to do in your life. And so in this moment, we become encouraged because the Lord is not done with us yet. There's a huge part of us that is anxiously awaiting revelation in Christ. You are coming back with Christ if you are in Christ. And so I pray that maybe the angst that you feel in your soul, the growth that you want to see happen, that you would use that, that you would use that to motivate you in this life to pursue Christ more and more. May God bless this word over your life this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time together. I thank you, Lord, that um, as we walk in this life that you are with us. Father, I pray for all the people that are here this morning. And I pray, Lord, that um, as we journey through this life, that you would just show us, Lord, the things that you're calling us to change. God, I know that for so many of us, so many of the problems that we have are in our minds. We fill our lives with the wrong kind of media, the wrong kind of friendships, the the wrong kind of activities. And then we come to a place where we, we realize that we've got to make some changes. And so, God, I just pray that you would reveal that to us this morning for each person here individually, that you would reveal the things that we need to change, the areas in which, Lord, we need to grow. God, I pray that your spirit would come and do this work in us today. Transform our thinking, God, that we would also have our lives transformed. We love you and we trust you. And I pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is the time.